welcome. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help but laugh. I just looked at the camera here, and I'm very blue. What's what's with the blue? I don't really understand why it's so blue, but we're going to go with it today. I'm still in the temporary studio, and I apologize for that. Um, as you know, I've got a radon issue in my main studio, which is in the basement, so I've kind of relocated up here to my office, set up a temporary camera, which is not in line with where I have to look. That makes it very, very awkward, so I apologize for that. Uh, we've got th This is going to be one of the most fascinating discussions that we've ever done. And I've been doing this for six years. I've done a lot of things on this program, had a lot of discussions and interviewed some very, very fascinating people. But this particular story that we're going to talk about today actually not only is just fascinating unto itself, but it is a uh, somewhat personal in the sense that my childhood, this, this whole story, we're going, to, we're going to open up the can of worms here today, uh, relates to a, a, something that happened in my hometown. And it's one of those things where you grow up hearing about it. It's very mysterious. Uh, your mom and dad talk about it. In fact, they sometimes they threaten you. And I, I, I don't mean that in a mean way. I'm going to explain it in a minute. But they threaten you with the story. Uh, you're going to, you know, be careful. Be good or Eva Koo is going to get you. Be good or Eva Koo is going to get you. I actually heard that as a child. And I don't blame my mom for saying things like that. I was a bit of a terror at times. Um, but we're going to be talking about the story of Eva Koo today. And you say to yourself, are you making that name up? Is JV making that name up? Eva Koo, it sounds made up. No, it's not made up. And the story is, uh, is almost unbelievable. It's, it border, it's borderline unbelievable, but it's a true story. And we're going to be bringing a filmmaker in, Lori, Lori Kelly Bailey, who made a, a film about the Eva Koo story. It's called A Roadhouse Koo, Koo spelled C-O-U-P. Uh, we're going to bring here in a minute. Before we do that... Um, as most of you know, I took some time off from the program. I needed uh, some mental health months. I took about, I don't know, eight months off and uh, was able to uh, you know recoup, kind of uh, recharge the batteries, if you will. And it was time well spent. However, since I've been back doing the program again over the last month or so, I have had so many people reach out. And welcome me back, say thank you for coming back, missed the program, all those very, very kind emails and comments on social media. And I just want to thank everybody who's taken the time to do that, because it really it warms my heart to know that not only was the program missed, but it's being received um, even better than it was uh, when, I, when I took the break. So thank you for taking the time and making the effort to uh, let me know how appreciated the work we do here is, because it is work. We love it. But it's still work. It takes a lot of time to put these programs together, especially after the fact, because when we do it live, it kind of just flows as it is. But then after the flat fact, we have to edit it up and put it up as the podcast. And I know that thousands of you listen to the podcast version of each episode, many thousands, in fact. And thank you for doing that as well, sharing it with your friends, letting other people know about it. And if you are watching the live version of the show, you know that the uh, podcast can be found on any major podcast platform. It's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, I don't know. The, the list is long, and um, you can find it just about anywhere. So thanks for doing that. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
One more thing I want to mention before we get to this very intriguing and fascinating conversation. I've got this. Look at this thing. This is the new Paranormal Reality TV coffee mug. Isn't this thing fabulous? I mean, there's nothing in it right now. But this thing is fantastic as my little pudgy hands hold it up here. Um, This is available on our merch site. All you have to do is go to the website, which is ParanormalRealityTV.com, and click on the merch tab, and you can get into a link that allow you to get not just the mug, but look at this. Look at this bad boy. Look at this thing. I'm, I'm looking at the camera to make sure it's, or looking at the screen to make sure it's, it's centered. But look at this shirt. This is pretty cool, too. Uh, these aren't that expensive, and... Um, Obviously, it helps us here support the program because not only are we doing these interviews on all of these channels, uh, but we're doing the live investigations. And that's really the meat and potatoes of what we're doing here. Uh, my partners, Rebecca Foster and Britt Griffith, uh, we're all busy planning the next inve- investigation. It's coming up very soon, by the way. And uh, you're going to be able to see us do another uh, ghost hunt live. It'll be two nights. It'll be a Friday and Saturday. It's just a couple of weeks away. More details on that will be forthcoming. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into this conversation. We're really honored and pleased to have uh, with us today a filmmaker, uh, Lori Kelly Bailey. Um, Lori, welcome to the program. It's so great to have you here. Uh, and I have to say, before we get into talking about the Eva Koo story, um, I want to I want to know a little bit about you as a filmmaker. You've 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 been involved in film for a while, and then when we get to this Eva Koo story, uh, you're going to be able to tell us even more. But how long have you been making film? 20, 20 years. And are you, are you, I know you live, I think you live in the Oneonta, New York area now, right? Are you a native of Oneonta? Is that where you grew up or Uh, how long have you been here? Um, I was born in Mineville. My dad moved us here when I was five. I'm 65 this year. I don't care if you know that. So I've been here the majority of my life. Uh, okay. And I'm fascinated with the blue. <laughs> I, know, I don't know why it's so blue. It's very, very strange. I could take some time and adjust it, but I'm not going to bother. I'll no, no, be blue like today. <laughs> I'm going to be blue. Uh, so uh, when I was growing up, um, I heard about the, the, the Eva Koo story. And I, I wasn't kidding when my mom would say at, at times, be good or Eva Koo's going to get you. I mean, it was that mm-hmm. much of a story that people who grew up in Oneonta were familiar with. Now, there was a lot of rumors about the Eva Koo story. Uh, you know, th- there were different versions of it. And everybody uh, who heard the story growing up kind of just assumed it was folklore. And it is in a way. But the Eva Koo story is folklore based in a real story of tragedy of murder, of intrigue, of sex. All of those things make up this Eva Koo story, Lori. When did you first learn about the Eva Koo story? Uh, a couple years before filming was the first time I came across the um, uh, nice book by Niles Eggleston, which sort of profiled Eva Koo. But then it was about two years prior of doing the research up at the courthouse, uh, documents um, following her trail of craziness here, and then talking to some old timers who, of course, just like you just said, they have their own little twist on the stories of Eva Koo and what she did or did not do here. So, Let's tell the story, kind of the, the, the Reader's Digest version, if anybody even knows what that means anymore, version of the story, um, and, and then, then we'll get into some detail as we talk about your research and stuff. But what, in a, in a nutshell, is the Eva Koo story? 
Um, Ibuku came to our area in the 1920s into the 30s at height of pro prohibition. So um, it was just a great opportunity for her to use her talents to, um, wow, I got really larger, to um, entice the men of the area to spend their money on her um, girls and the, um, we'll call it bathtub gin that she provided for them. So she, she had quite a service for um, during the time of Prohibition. And then we all know what happened when Prohibition ended. Yeah, so so Eva Kumu's, I believe, from Canada, comes down. I think yes. with her husband at first was it was her maiden name Curly? Am I remembering that correctly? Was it Curly Koo or was it Cur Curry C U R R Y? Okay. So Eva Curry Koo. Um, the research I did, they they split up somewhere in the west part of um, America. Yes, after coming from Canada, and then she came to New York City. From New York City, met Martha Clift and came to our area. Okay, so she comes to Oneonta now. As someone who grew up in Oneonta and my parents grew up in Oneonta. Uh, Oneonta was a growing railroad town in the early part of the 20th yeah. century. A, a very, it had one of the largest rail yards in the Northeast at the time, actually. None of it exists anymore, but it was there when I was growing up. But in the early 20s, it was, it was growing rapidly. Uh, there was a new college being uh, built in uh, Oneonta, uh, the State Teachers College in New York that was growing. The railroad was growing. It was a bustling little town of about, I don't know, what, 12,000 people, I think, at the time, Lori. And uh, Eva Koo moves there. Alcohol is illegal because of prohibition. She opens up basically a speakeasy and a brothel and yes. actually becomes, yeah. I don't know if it's wealthy, if we can say wealthy, but does rather well for herself, right? I would think wealthy for the times in the research. Then she had several um, automobiles that she owned, beautiful clothing. Um, her brothel did very well. She was out and about with all the men of town. So, yes, she was, I would say, wealthy um, by any account for some time. So she she's wealthy. She's doing well. And then all of a sudden something changes. And what changes is that alcohol, the Prohibition era, ends and uh, alcohol is no longer longer illegal. Anybody can basically serve it in a bar, right? And that affects her financial status. And I don't know if, it, I'm not sure exactly the timing because I don't remember the dates, but um, she starts to recognize that her life of luxury is going to end. Yes, and so um, she, with the help of her best friend, Martha Cliff, who had helped her through um, the brothel days, they uh, hatched a plan, if you will, to take insurance policies out on just about everybody. She did on her family, friends, uh, employees especially, um, and then she hoped to cash those in at some time. She took out quite a few on um, Harry Wright, who was her handyman, Harry Gimpy, they called him. Um, she had a lot of policies on him, and she was still running illegal, illegal alcohol. So she recognizes that the gravy train may be ending, and she decides she needs to hatch a scheme to uh, subsidize her lifestyle. And while there's actually stuff that occurred, and we'll talk about it as well, prior to this incident that we're, that the film focuses on, um, she takes out a life insurance policy on uh, one of her handymen, one of the people that works for her, who actually was, I don't know if he was um, um, handicapped, mentally handicapped, what, but he was... He's, kind of a slow uh he was also an alcoholic so he, he was constantly in a fog of alcohol um, but she takes out a policy on this guy seeing uh, and i think maybe even more than one seeing him as an easy mark to be able to uh hatch this insurance fraud scheme and uh, make some quick money tell us what happens next Lori. 
Um, absolutely. He, he was under her care and she befriended his mother uh, for some time until the mom mysteriously died, which is interesting. And then even more mysteriously, the mom's uh, house burns down and Eva happens to collect on both of those policies and becomes the caretaker uh, permanently of Harry. Harry Wright. And yes, he was, um, by all accounts, a little slow-witted, certainly alcoholic, and had um, some physical limitations. So he becomes the caretaker of this uh, individual who uh, sleeps in the basement, I believe, of her of her roadhouse, right? Sometimes on the porch. <laughs> Sometimes on the porch, wherever he could find a mat- mattress, I suppose. And he... Um, the, the the inheritance he gets from his mother's death, I think, was about eighteen hundred dollars, which Eva very quickly bilks from him, and and I don't know yes. how she did it, but she did it, uh, and leaving him basically penniless. And then she she decides that she needs more money through this insurance fraud scheme. What does she do to Harry Wright? I mean, in the end, or yeah, <laughs> let's let's, let's advance the All story, right. then it's we can true. get into some detail it's as we true. go along here. Yeah. All right, so she sets up the insurance policies on him with the help of Martha, and they talk several times about how to get rid of Harry so that they can collect, and the first few plans they have didn't didn't work out so well. So they drove, um, they, they told him they were going to go collect some flowers from an abandoned farm up on Crum, uh, Crum Hill Mountain, Crumhorn Mountain, and he goes along um, unwittingly with them. So Eva lures him out to the front of the car, to um, check it as if something's wrong with the tire. Martha's still behind the driver's seat, and um, she whacks him over the head with a three-pound mallet. And when he drops down to the ground, Martha runs him over twice. So she she hits him with the mallet. He falls to the ground, obviously. And Martha, her accomplice, runs him over with the car a couple of times. Uh, and that's how they kill this man for his insurance money. Then, uh, Laurie, they take him a little further away, right? And they dump his body on the side of the road because they want it to look like it was a car, like he was hit by a car. A it was run. like a hit and run. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so talk about uh, doubly horrible. They wrapped him in a blanket, threw the blanket out, threw him in the ditch, left him, called in the report themselves to say, "Oh, you know, he's missing. We're we're so concerned." And of course, the police were. The police officer was quick to identify that something was uh, something was amiss, and the coroner um, Tillapaw, I believe, definitely um, corroborated and said that this, there's no way that he was just hit by a car because he was. Completely crushed, and his head was smashed in. So, so um, I mean, just a, just a, a fascinating story. But one of the things that makes it interesting too for our audience, because frequently we talk about haunted locations and and ghost mm. stories and that kind of thing. The place where Eva hits this man over the head with the mallet and they run over him was on a, a, a hill, a mountain, if you if you will, even though it wasn't really a mountain, but it's called Crumhorn Mountain. And there was yes. an, a, a house on that hill, which I actually have uh, this this picture of this newspaper article. It was called oh, nice. a, a, local ha- a local haunted house. They considered it haunted back then. I'm not sure why. I don't know if we have any explanation for that. But that makes it intriguing, too, because if it wasn't then, it probably is now right <laughs> it probably is by now i think it was originally the scott farm correct me if i'm wrong there before it became known as you know the haunted house um seeing the great picture by the way thank you for sharing um, that but 
And and so when Eve, Eva and Martha are, are actually in the middle of committing this crime, committing this murder, uh, they're interrupted. Who interrupts them? Oh, by the neighbors? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, three neighbors, uh, two ladies, and um, one of the ladies' husbands uh, come upon them. Now, I'll call them the wrong name because we renamed them, obviously, Mrs. Fink and something else in the movie, and I'll, I'll give you the wrong name. But anyway, they, they came upon them right after uh, Gimpy had gone to the ground. So Eva, it's, it's amazing, the, I don't want to say the words that she has, uh, to stand in front of his almost dead body and cover him up while still talking to these women and shaming them for coming on the property. It's, it's quite crazy. He wasn't dead even at that time. Yeah, so... unconscious so, under the car. So they were nearly caught, and it's because that these because these people stumbled upon Eva and Martha at the scene of this crime uh, that later the police were certain that that they had something to do with this. Uh, because even though they did suspect something odd in the beginning, they kind of just dismissed mm-hmm. it as the hit and run for a couple days anyway, and then then started to recognize there was more more going on here. Um, in addition to uh, such a horrific crime such odd circumstances when they were investigating this crime uh the investigators themselves did some odd things like exhume the body how many times do we know three three times they just kept digging this man up and the report the reports are that they they dug up the body the first time took the body to the location where the crime they crime they, they expected they suspected the crime to have been committed, brought Eva Ku up there and made her manipulate the dead body. What was the point of that? Was that just an effort to scare her into confessing? It, what was going on? It was. They hoped that the uh, the two ladies, Eva and Martha, would be so horrified by this that they'd get a confession right there. But they uh, they moved the body around dead a few times and. Uh, yeah, and, and they brought—I believe they brought him to court one time. The, the actual corpse. They brought the corpse to court. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I want to remind people: this wasn't back in like 1750. This was 1934, <laughs> 1935. This wasn't—you know—this was not even a hundred years ago. I mean, I can't imagine doing that. In, in, you know, in, in today's courtroom, bringing a, a corpse in to illustrate a point, but they did that back then. And in some cases, they did it without warrants, from what I understand. They did things without court orders. They just did it um, to prove their case. Uh, do you have any suspicion with all the research that you did that this this was a somehow railroaded case and maybe uh, there is a possibility of some innocence? Because Eva Koo maintained her innocence right up until the end. I don't know if she was totally innocent, and, and I don't think any of us will know, um, but I I think I know where you're going, and, and can you imagine, I was, I was trying to imagine in looking over the court case, sitting as um, a female in the 1930s before an all-male jury, knowing that you had serviced all of those men in your brothel, and that was illegal, and they had the goods on you, and you had that little black book. If I was Eva, I would have known right then. Um, Gigs up because there's well, no way. 
That's another great point you bring up. So as she operated this uh, roadhouse, which had prostitution mm-hmm. going on and illegal alcohol, in the film, again, the, the, the name of the film is A Roadhouse Coup, C-O-U-P. Uh, in the film, you, you present scenes where there, a lot of the local dignitaries, whether it's the mayor, the governor, uh, the police chief, other people that are uh, notable within the community visiting this particular roadhouse and enjoying mm-hmm. the services there. Um, is that from research or is that artistic license? Did that really happen that you know of? Um, she did uh, definitely entertain uh, sometimes at other people's homes, some of the dignitaries. There's a lot of creative license in there because I just thought it would be fun to pepper all of our who's who's <laughs> Well, that was one of the, that was one of the things fun for me in watching the film is that uh, I knew just about everybody. I know actually I very well almost everybody who uh, was was portraying a role uh-huh. in the film. So that that was a lot of fun. Um, as Eva Koo was on trial in the film, you you present uh, Eva as very defiant, um, yeah. but also not complete not completely um, dismissing the charges against her. She actually seemed to be admitting a lot of what had happened. Uh, And we'll get into the idea that maybe somebody else was involved in a minute. But what was her real attitude? From the research that you did, what was her attitude? Was was she um, compliant? I mean, did she confess? Yes. Um, I don't think that she ever thought for a minute that she wasn't going to go down for this crime. In fact, she actually says in you can read it in the um, court transcripts or the um, deposition she was giving. She she believed that she was going to be convicted for this crime, but that she was going to get nothing more than what Martha ended up with, which would be at the most life in prison. And she thought she would actually be in prison in the same place that Martha went. Well, I, I guess Martha we should, turned on her. So yeah, I guess we should offer the fact that uh, it's it's not a spoiler at this point. Um, but Eva Koo was electrocuted in the electric chair in New York State at Sing Sing Prison yes. a year after she was convicted of the crime, or almost a year. Pretty fast, uh, huh? It's really quick fast by today's very quick by today's standard. Um, am I right? I I often remember hearing that either she was the last woman electrocuted in the New York electric chair in New York state. I believe she was. Is that true? Yeah, I thought so. Uh, But the interesting thing is in the very beginning of the investigation, uh, and I'm going to put the the two women back up here on the screen. Uh, Eva is the woman on the left. Martha is on the right in the screen there, right? Is that, am I, do I have that correct? I love that picture. Yeah. That's, that's right in the Oneana precinct. Wow. So um, Mm -hmm. in the very beginning of the investigation, Martha's was claiming that Eva drove the car and ran over uh, Harry and Martha was say, or uh, Eva was saying no, it was Martha that drove the car and ran over Harry. And in fact, in the in the original uh, statements by both of them, neither one mentioned uh, uh, Mallet at all. They just blamed each other for uh, running over Harry. Um, what did you make of those original statements? I also wondered about the Mallet too. I mean, it plays to a really good story, and the story grows bigger, as we all know, when you hear um, the fictitious tales. I should have brought the mallet up here to show you, but I have to run downstairs. Which, um, when you say the mallet, is it a prop or is it the real mallet? It is as close, I'm told, to the real one as you can. I didn't make it. I mean, it was actually brought off an old farm. Oh, wow. There. And it's, it's, so the, it's the one that used in the film? Yeah, it's that three-pound nasty mallet. That is, yeah. Um, anyway, back to your question. I digress. 
Yeah, so so um, in the, the original stories, there's no mention of a mallet. They just point fingers no. at each other. These two ladies are pointing fingers at each other. Now, we have to remember something. Uncle Eva Koo, ran him over. Eva Koo at the time was, what, 41, 42 years old, something in that neighborhood? Mm-hmm. And Martha yeah. on the right, and, and, you know, we look at these old photos, and people always look far older than they are. She's, what, 24, yeah. 25? I was, I was thinking she was around 30. And okay. 30, but there, I think there was a good 10 or 12 years between their ages. And they're pointing fingers at each other saying, uh, she drove the car. Yeah. Martha's original statement, this is what I find very curious. Martha's original statement is that she was walking and leading this Harry Wright to, a, uh, I guess, some berries or something they were going to pick. Uh-huh. And she was a little bit ahead of Harry. And while they were walking, Martha, or excuse me, Eva, Eva. basically stepped on the gas and hit him. Uh, from behind as he was walking towards these berry bushes, um, which is a very different story than Eva getting out of the car and hitting him with a mallet. Very, very different. Extremely. Um, I We went with the one of, obviously, uh, Martha staying behind the wheel and Eva getting out, and it was just, it was obviously easier to uh, to film it that way. Yeah. Um, and there was no proof of, of which one was telling the truth, and since Eva had been convicted we had to go with that one right do you again with all the research you did did you start to doubt whether the official story the the actual story that uh led to her conviction might have some holes in it i mean what were your thoughts on that the only doubts i had really was was in recognizing the fact that the all-male jury had no problem um being selected a certain way and and convicting her so Whether she got a fair shot at a trial, I don't think so, but I'm pretty sure they were going to take her down anyway. She knew too much. Yeah, and by the way, that trial took place in the Otsego County Courthouse, right? Which which is the same courthouse. It's the same courthouse you filmed in, right? That, but that's where the actual trial took place. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah, we tried to use this like the jail cell that we have her in is her actual jail cell. Oh wow! Very. Yeah, it's very tiny, and they intentionally i'm told um put her in that cell to make her as uncomfortable as possible so that's the real jail cell and where she sat for the hearing is exactly where she sat um it was a very difficult shoot in the courthouse it was uh, the covid lockdown and um so there was no food no use of bathroom i mean it was really all the extras were not allowed to come so you're supposed to have like 50 people in the court and we have Eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did, you did a lot with what you had to work with, given those conditions. I, I, I'm impressed by that. That courthouse, by the way, for, for folks that are watching, is, is literally a block uh, in, in the direction of the camera. It's literally a block that way, because I'm in Cooperstown right now. Um, so... As you learned about this story before you before you did the research and all of that, but you heard about it, what made you decide to make a film about it? What was that decision well, process? We, we had just come off of a great success doing the independent film about Garrow, who was my dad's neighbor growing up, turned out to be a, a very notorious serial killer, very famous case. So I had just finished that great success and thought, you know what? There's got to be one here in Oneonta. I'm tired of going to the Adirondacks. And somebody, uh, I think it was Doug, Doug Brenner, police chief Brenner at the time, said, well, you ought to check out uh, Eva Koo's story, which I did, and said, yeah, that'll work. Same thing, uh, court, and then transition back to her crimes. And I just found her to be fascinating. 
So that was the reason for doing it here and uh, on a, get it on a dime. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, um, the story is fascinating. We, we haven't even done it justice because this is one of those things as you read about it, the more you learn about it, the more fascinating it becomes. Um, the film does it justice. Our descriptions here, we wouldn't have time to get into it as, in as much detail as, it, as uh, you deserved to hear as an audience. But were you surprised that more attention hasn't been given to this case, given how fascinating it is? fascinated with it now and the more the more people I met obviously you saw the the dignitaries and the people in town it was just like yes uh, this is a story that needs to be told and it's I, I am surprised that it's not outside of our area maybe because there was just a book I think there was a small film or a, a play years ago done yeah. about this yep. um, but that's it and it, it it deserves way more than what we were able to give it I mean I don't know if a bigger production would have helped or not. I've worked on a couple of big productions, and I'm sure you know that they have their own problems. Might well, I just have. I'm just fascinating because again, hearing about this story all growing up, and with the with the current state of pop culture in the United States, there is this fascination with true crime in general. I mean, the biggest uh, uh, limited series on Netflix and HBO Max and all of these streaming channels are all, all these true crime stories. We're, we're yeah. going through right now the Murdoch or whatever story. Murdoch, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a fa- People are fascinated by this stuff, yet we have this really intriguing story of a woman, mur- a murderess in a small a town woman, yeah. who, who basically backs over, runs over a man for the insurance money. Uh, she owns a brothel. She owns, she owns a speakeasy, all these things. And yet so little attention. I'm so glad you decided to make this film because um, as I was watching we had fun it, with it, yeah, no, but as I was watching it, I was just thinking, wow, this is such a great story. Thank God. Someone has, someone has decided to tell it. Well, thank you. Um, i to find another one to do now. Yeah, no. Well, this is a good one. And I don't know how many hidden stories like this there are around the country. Maybe there are a lot of them and I'm just naive, but it just seems like these types of stories have all been ferreted out uh, with the exception of this one, which you 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 reinvigorated interest in, which is Mm -hmm. which is which is terrific. Um, Tell me about the filmmaking process itself. I'm sure that I'm sure that I missed the phone Uh, call to to play a a role in that, but that's okay. I'm just you kidding. Did. I put it out in the paper. I'm I put a wide net out there. I'm just teasing. Well, the, the first one was, um, the first person I spoke to was, uh, I think, Mayor Ellen. And uh, she was very helpful. And, and it turned out to be her family that had done the autopsies on um, Harry Wright. So anyway, she was very great. How we talked her into playing a hard, a, a tight-lipped uh, prohibition, sorry, prohibitionist. I don't know, but she did it really, really well. And she introduced me to um, Senator Seward, who also wanted to jump on board. And it, it just kept going that way. Uh, each person would introduce me to somebody else until we finally got to the DA. That's its own story, as you've probably heard. The the story of John Neal <laughs> being being yeah. in the film. No, I don't. I don't think I've yeah, heard yeah. the story of him. I was actually surprised to see him in the in the movie because I didn't think that's what everyone says, <laughs> right? Everybody says, how'd you get him in that movie? I said, I don't know. I asked. Um, They were all just, I don't know. I think they just fell into their characters because they're so used to being in law enforcement and investigations and um, as 
politicians, they were great. And the men, for whatever reason, all the men in this film loved dressing up and going into the Masonic Lodge room where they could pretend to be clients of Eva's. Okay, I, I, I wasn't going to say this, and, and my partners and I, <laughs> now my partners and I had, had wanted, uh, talked about keeping this secret, but I'm going to say it now. The location uh, that you used in the film, the Masonic Hall, uh, which is yeah. actually originally was the Fairchild Mansion, um, is the location that we're going to be doing our next live paranormal investigation. Oh, wonderful! It's perfect. It's such a beautiful place with a, with an amazing, amazing history. So when, when you go to Vimeo, I'm going to put this back up on the screen here. When you go to Vimeo.com slash on demand slash a roadhouse coup and watch the film. Um, the scene, there's several scenes, uh, of this, the interior of this particular building. It's a gorgeous mansion with amazing woodwork. You have some exterior shots of it as well in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you see that, that is the place we are going to be investigating in a few weeks, uh, live. Oh, during, that is so, uh, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. It's, You're all set then for that. Yeah, and that building was, um, you know, as gr- again, growing up in Oneonta, that's one of those buildings that you drive by, I'd be in the back seat of my parents' car, look at it and say, wow, I'd love oh, to live that? in that someday. What a gorgeous place. Have you been through the whole place, upstairs, downstairs? Obviously, you've been. Okay, so it's the Masonic Hall now, and the, the Masons, uh, my dad was a Mason, and uh, they, uh, they my had- My son's a Mason. They had a recruiting meeting that I went to. I ended up not not joining, but I went to it there, and they gave a tour of the building. Uh, and I yeah. was just I was just awestruck by this place. It's such a great place. Yeah. Hi, so why, why, when when you decided to use that place, was there a particular reason other than it's just gorgeous? Well, my son's a, um, a mason, actually a master mason. What he's been through all those whatever those male things are. So he had um, taken me in there and said we should just film here because it's perfect and. I can make it happen. So I said, okay, make it happen. We'll film here. It's great. Forgive me just a second. I'm just responding to our sure. chat room here for a second. In fact, I can do it verbally. I so can't. Typing it out. So, um, yeah. So, Steph, uh, I know a lot of people have talked about this Fairchild Mansion. No one has ever investigated it. It's never been allowed before. Um, as Lori was saying, uh, her son's a Mason. I have some good friends that are in the Masons. And uh, one of them um, is, I don't know what the title is, but who's responsible. And he was able to make the decision and said, yeah, you guys want to do it? We'll open the doors to you. So we're looking forward yeah. to a Friday and Saturday night investigation there. All right. So oh, I'm so happy for you. When you made the film, um, what was more important to you? Uh, m- the filmmaking part or telling this story about Eva Koo and what happened? Mm, that's that's a good question. Honestly, the most important part to me initially was gathering in my community, and this isn't to sound all hokey, um, real people to film. We had already actually been involved with SAG and I had a couple of contracts in the works to bring them here. And I know it just struck me one day, I said, this is nuts because all the attention will go to those two SAG actors. It won't be about our community anymore. It won't be about the Yaku's story and it certainly won't be about any of the actors that are here locally. So we just scrapped that and I went with all, um, Real live local people. I said, "Come on down and try it out." Well, that makes uh, it, it, a lot. Just, it was the better thing to do, and it makes it a lot of fun for somebody who grew up hearing the yeah. story, living in the area, and then knowing almost every single person who who was on the screen there. Um, I want to play the trailer. Uh, I mentioned this actually okay. a little earlier, but let's play the trailer right now so people can see uh, a little bit of what this film's about. Let me see if I can regurgitate this all back to you. On the day that Gimpy, 
Mr. Wright was killed. You say I was able to jump from a slow-moving car. Find a mallet, slip it under my sweater, run back to the car, cracked him over the head, pushed him in front of the wheels of the car to be run over. And drive away. Leaving absolutely no evidence, no footprints, no trail of blood, or guts. Have you reached a verdict? He's dead, Eva. Stone cold dead. Again, you can watch the film on Vimeo on demand. It's vimeo.com on demand slash roadhouse coup. Um, obviously, Laurie, a lot of uh, time, attention, and detail went into the costuming. Uh, you've got a lot of great old classic antique vehicles. Uh, how did you pull all that together? That in itself is an undertaking. Hey, the, most people brought what they had for costumes, and then Vicky, um, Vicky Hurlburt, who has a, a store in town here, um, Shakedown Street, was able to pull also a lot of uh, older pieces and put them together. The vehicles, um, Wayne Heimer was very good at getting some older vehicles. The, that, that was probably one of the hardest things because we were in bad weather and for these antique, the guys yeah. who have the antique cars, to bring them out, that yeah. was tough. We ended up with two and that's fine. Use what you got. You know, it's funny because every time you, I watch a film, I, I think about weird things sometimes. When I watch a film that has a lot of antique vehicles, I care. Oh, I've been watching the 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 uh, uh, HBO Max series uh, Perry Mason. You know the the reboot mm -hmm. of the Perry Mason. I don't know if you've seen it. Anyway, there's a lot of antique vehicles in it. And when you watch films like that, the antique vehicles are always perfectly shiny. Because you know that the people who own those vehicles, they take care of them like that, and they don't want a speck of dirt on those vehicles. And you know that's not how it really was when they were driving them around back those days, because most of the roads were dirt roads anyway. So, <laughs> The old truck, if you remember the old truck we had in a couple of scenes, that was great because we could do whatever we wanted to. When we had to run over my son who played Gimpy, um, we had to be a little careful with that car. That was your that was your son who played Gimpy. Oh yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. No uh, Um. So let's talk a little bit about post conviction. So Eva Ku is on. She goes on trial. She gets convicted. All mm -hmm. the weirdness happens during the trial. As you mentioned, they bring the corpse to the courtroom. They bring during the investigation Eva and the corpse up to the the murder site, and they make her yeah. manipulate the body to try to reenact the crime. All this weird stuff. Um. It's just it's just macabre, weird stuff. Actually, he, I think we have a picture of the exhumation, one of the exhumations of uh, of of yeah. Harry Wright, right? So, yep. Um, when we talk about these locations, like uh, here's the haunted murder or the haunted house, the scene of the murder, and then here's a picture of uh, Eva Ku's Roadhouse, the her little nice. Eva's place, whatever the business. When you filmed, did you, were you able to get? Uh, to those specific sites, I don't know if any of those buildings still exist or not. I, I have no idea. None of none of the original buildings. We did the best we could to recreate uh, or to go to buildings that looked very similar um, exterior-wise, and then sometimes to recreate inside another building to match it up. Have you been up to his his gravesite, Jimpies? You know what's funny? I hadn't, and I actually uh, I had I had to go out of town this weekend, and when I came back through, I 
I, I know where it is now. It's in Portonville, which is about 15 yeah. minutes from here. And uh, I, I, I'm going to go visit and take some pictures and stuff. Yeah, definitely going to do nice. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so creepy up there now, but you can get right to it. So. Yeah, I imagine it is. So one of the things, and we forgot to mention this, one of the things that Eva Ku does in this whole plot of hers, in order to get the maximum payout on the insurance policy on Harry Wright, he needs to be under 50 years old, right? Yes. So she does a couple things. She she uses a family Bible, which has a birth date in it of 1885 for this man, as opposed to what his real birth date mm-hmm. was, was in 1880. And she does something to the headstone, right? What happens there? She did. Isn't that amazing? I found that out. And, and when you go up, you'll see the, the rub off on the bottom. She has um, a, a friend of hers go and put her name on the bottom. So it's his dad, Gimpy's dad, mom. Harry Wright, and then she has her name put underneath it. That's Amazing. so. That's so weird. It's a, oh, that's almost, that's almost like gives you gives you shivers. In addition to that, in order to keep up the ruse that this man was under fifty years old, she changes the, has the mm-hmm. date changed on the headstone. And Martha do it, yeah. His oh, birthday. the headstone. Talking about yes, yeah. 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 So his, yeah. his instead of 1880, which was his actual birthday, they, she had it changed to 1885 so that he would be under 50 and therefore she'd be able to get him insured. And, and I think the, the, the double indemnity clause, he had yeah. to be under 50 if he, if he passed yeah. away. Yeah. So she went through great lengths to, to get, yeah. make this, make this thing happen. But anyway. What if she just had a regular job? <laughs> I know. So post conviction. <laughs> And as we mentioned, this all happens rather quickly. She gets, she, she goes, she gets, uh, goes on trial. Um, I think in June was it June of nineteen thirty four? Yes, it was. And then yep. she's convicted. Uh, it only takes a few weeks, right? I think, it, and by August she was August? in Sing in Sing Sing, and by she o- was dead about. 13 months later. Yeah, so by August, uh, she's, she's in the prison. It's a fam- It's a notorious prison in New York State called Sing Sing. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's in this prison, and she was scheduled to die in October, which would have been just a matter of months from the conviction. I mean, it, that's that rapid. But the appeal process delays it a little bit, but not by today's standards where it's 20 years later. It delayed uh-huh. it about a year and then uh, she she's executed in the in the electric chair at Sing Sing Prison. What does she say uh, as she sits down in the chair, Lori, uh, to die? Oh, goodbye, goodbye, darlings. Was, yeah. I think it was goodbye, da- goodbye, darlings. Goodbye, <laughs> darlings. She says, yeah. uh, which are, which yeah. are haunting words in themselves. Um, I I just can't imagine. And Ma- and then, what did Martha? Go ahead. I'm sorry. What did Martha? And Martha had a famous line too, and they were. De- parting from each other and um Eva said well now I'm going to be famous I've always wanted to be famous she actually said that and and Martha responded with uh don't worry Eva you'll be forgotten soon enough they put that into the movie because I thought it was so telling that's right of the end of their relationship yeah, and here here's a, an announcement uh, in the New York Hi. Times. Die in the electric chair it shows Eva Koo there, um, and I think there's uh, yeah Mrs. Koo and somebody else are put to death. Um, calm walks unassisted. It's just so bizarre. This this by the way is Sing Sing Prison. Um, <sighs> ah, it's just it's just so creepy. And this is the electric chair at Sing Sing Prison. And you creepy. know that Brenner made Brenner made our electric chair. <laughs> oh really? Oh neat. <laughs> Yeah, chief. So he's still the chief of police at the time, and he's building electric chairs. This is a strange <laughs> man. <laughs> um, so, uh, even in the, in the film, 
you you imply that uh, Eva Koo had uh, entertained, I'll use the word, uh, the governor of the state. And of course, the governor has the authority in a state to uh, offer clemency or, or uh, you know, put a stay of execution um, into a case, uh, which he, which the governor of New York did not do for Eva Koo. Do you know if they really had, did you know this, the governor of New York at the time? And was that, was that something that um, maybe was, again, creative license? Or do you think that yeah. that was something that actually happened there? I think it actually happened, but we used creative license because I certainly didn't have any documented uh, proof. And I was going to get called out on that. Where did you actually see this as proof other than hearsay? Um, so, but he didn't, uh, what I did read for sure is that they called as they would do the last half hour, the last few minutes before her execution. And mm-hmm. he just wasn't going to let her go. So that tells me something right there. Right. Right. Um, it's a fa- it's, it's, it's an, an amazing story. After you released it, uh, what type of reaction did you get from folks? I mean, you've heard my reaction. I'm so excited Great. that you did this, but w- what else did you hear? Really, um, we did really well, and you never know how those seats are going to fill, but we ran it four times here at uh, Foothills and filled every seat every time. So that's very telling. And it wasn't like, oh, here's a free movie. I said that that's going to be telling because if you just give it for free, I'm sorry, people will, oh, i got nothing to do. I'll come watch it. So there you go. Pay, pay the fee. Do you want to see this movie? And they filled every seat every time. Yeah. I I, can't, I remember when you were when it was being um, shown. I, I I don't. I was out of town somewhere, and I was really really disappointed. At the sure. Time. No, I, I really was. I travel a lot for business, so I was out, and I was disappointed. Um, and I'm so glad that this this path led us to here, and we're able to talk about this. And I also have to say this. So I was I'm watching the movie, and I'm reliving you know things that I heard as as a child uh, through your lens as you, as you're presenting this story, mm-hmm. and I really regret not having asked any of my grandparents about that story because they were all alive in Oneonta during that time. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my, my uh, mother's parents were Italian. They came here uh, in the 1910s or whatever it was. Um, But they were here and my father's um, parents and grandparents uh, were all from here, from the Oneonta area. So they obviously were aware. I don't know if any of them ever spent any time in Eva's, saloon or whatever it was called you know they may have and i i never you know they're not here now and i can't ask them but man i wish i'd asked that question you know that would have been so nice to know do you know anybody do you know anybody that's still alive that actually experienced uh her her place we have one gentleman and you know what i will do is remind me later to to get you the name and text it because as of at least a few weeks ago there is a gentleman who's just about to turn 100 who was still alive. And we had corresponded a bit. He had wanted to, his family had wanted him to be able to at least sit in the courtroom. Sure. Couldn't. couldn't because of COVID. Uh, let me get that information because could you imagine? Yeah. Oh, just, I don't think he could physically uh, oh, okay. <clears throat> make it, but it would, I'll get you his name. So once again, we're talking about the story of the murderess, Eva Koo, a woman who uh, owned a brothel, uh, a speakeasy in upstate New York, Oneonta, New York, where I grew up. 
And uh, she ended up uh, murdering a handyman that that she took care of, really, lived with her uh, for the insurance money. She was convicted of it, and she went to the electric chair. Now, Martha Clift, her accomplice, the younger accomplice, who was her friend, her confidant, what happened to her, Mm -hmm. Lori? I believe she served 12 years of her sentence. She was sentenced to 20 and served 12 um, in Bedford Women's Prison got out and last I knew she went back to her family and lived out her life as normal as she could. Um, Harry, not Harry, right? Harry Navinger also, who was one of the accomplices on the uh, fringe, he went back to the Binghamton area, I believe, and lived out the rest of his life. I'm glad you brought up that name, Harry Nabinger. Harry Nabinger, he, mm-hmm. um, he, he, in the film, it's implied that he had something to do with it, but he was never charged officially. Correct. Um, there's some implication that maybe these two ladies could not have lifted that body and could not have moved the body without his help. Um, he, I think, had a romantic relationship with Eva. I, I, I heard yes. that somewhere, too. Um, yeah. But they couldn't get any evidence on him, right? And neither of those two women uh, claimed that he was involved. So he Correct. could have gotten away with something there. Very, very, well, he was a man. They were all getting away with everything. Yeah, that's true. Saying. That's true. Right? That's true. The other thing we should say, too, is after Eva Koo was executed, she had family in Canada, I think primarily. And uh, the family was contacted and said, do you want to come claim her body for burial or any of that? And they didn't want anything to do with her. Nothing. No. She's in that pauper's grave, and I've never been able to find out where. Nobody will give up that information. So whether she really was buried in the prison pauper's grave, I don't know. Yeah. I can't find anybody that'll. Yeah. But hey, if you find out. (laughs) <laughs> I will, for sure. I'd love to know. And in fact, you know, uh, this story has, has has excited me so to to learn more about it and to uh, investigate it that I'm hoping in some way we can uh, do one of our paranormal investigations as it relates to this story. I don't know how we're going to do that yet. We're, we're trying to figure out a way that that might We should possible. go up to the grave. Up to, up to Harry's grave. Yeah. Now, I mentioned before the, the original locations. Where was the roadhouse? Where exactly was that? Do you know? Well, I've I've been told that it was out in the Colliersville area. Um, I've not seen any building or scraps of a building left out there, and nobody seems to know for sure. They go, well, I think it was over here, over there. But Colliersville, Portlandville area, um, couldn't okay. say for sure where. Yeah, I mean, if you read this article, it says, uh, here on the Albany-Binghamton Road is the little roadhouse <laughs> where Eva Koo... Uh, entertained passerby, passers-by with beer and song. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if that would be Route 7, New York Route 7, mm-hmm. if, if, you know, I just just don't know where. I can't I can't identify that. It's, it's, not, it's too blurry. It's too weird to really know exactly what that is. But I'd love to find that location as well. Um, I've put this up on the screen a couple times. Our, ta- our time is almost over here. But um, I put this on the screen. People can go to Vimeo.com, On Demand, slash a roadhouse coup so video.com slash on demand slash roadhouse coup watch this film support uh laurie and her work uh any is there any other place that they can see is this this the only spot at this point right now that's it we actually are in touch with uh, the other streaming videos it used to be so easy you could just yeah i know fast track yourself in but now there's a lot of you know you gotta uh close caption it and all that kind of stuff so we're doing that yes it will be out on others and i'm 
I'd like to speak with Spectrum a little more too to see if we can just even a week of yeah. you know on demand there would be good. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can see the film here. That uh, QR code will mm-hmm. take you there uh, on the screen. I want to ask you before I let you go about casting. I talked about all the local folks. Um, mm-hmm. The 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 lead was played by Alan. What was the Roe Kelly? Alan Roe Kelly. Is that what it is? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a Kelly relationship to you, Kelly? Not at all. No, okay. spelled the same way. I mean, but no, no relationship. I knew Alan. I, I met Alan when we did the movie Mindville, you know, 20 some years ago. Uh, he was the hair and makeup uh, artist there. And, yet, and yes, I say he. People are often confused by that. So Alan Roe Kelly, who played Eva Koo, is a he. And um, he nailed it. Yeah, I mean, great, great job. But I, I, as I'm watching, I'm curious as why you made that decision. What, what, what were you trying to present? I was at the time trying to present nothing. I had gone through a lot of auditioning here with local. I just couldn't find anyone who had had the chops as a female to do that role. And then I remembered Alan. I thought, gee, let's have him stop up and read and and try it out. And he did. He came dressed to the hilt and knew everything about the part and just did it so well. I said, okay, we're just going to go with it. But no real agenda. Now the see, things, way things are today, thank God there probably was one. But. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You can see over uh, Lori's right shoulder the the movie poster there. And oh, that, is a, that is a picture. That, right? that is Alan right there uh, as Eva Koo. Um, again, you you can see that if you catch the film, and I highly recommend watching. It's such a great story, and Lori did such a great job at presenting it. Thank Lori, uh, I don't know if you've got anything else in the works that you want to tell us about, or if you're if you're you know looking for your next project or what's happening. Well, I definitely want to do another one here. Um, hoping to do it in the fall. It would also be a bit of a crime drama. Um, not a, I'm, I'm kind of tired of doing the hacker slasher kind of stuff but um i i do have another one in the works and if all goes well we do have the funding for it so we're already as green light green lit as you can be and i would like to try it again here locally so you already have a story in mind is that what you i yeah oh i do yeah uh (laughs) is it a true crime story can you tell us that it is well i wouldn't say true it is based on truth crime story definitely a crime story of modern day i'm not going to do another period piece lord (laughs) <laughs> well you know it's funny i'm sitting here and i'm, I'm thinking You're to myself right okay down. so what what other really interesting stories are there related to you know crime and the ones that come to mind are like uh the linda velzi i don't know if that's one that you oh, came across yes i was around yeah i definitely was around when that happened she was a college student um, that was picked up hitchhiking picked up by a guy the name of ricky knapp and ended up he was my neighbor murder. that How was your neighbor this? ricky knapp was and so was carol wow that's a little strange, Lori. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be bragging about that. Would you like to buy the house next door? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, there, there, there's some, there's some odd ones. Uh, no, no, no others are coming to mind at the moment, but I know there are some. Odd ones. But um, anyway, so uh, again, thanks for joining us. Um, Thank you. You've got some other things that you've already done. What are some of the other works mm-hmm. that, if someone was interested in following some of the things you've done, they that they should check out? We did um, 
Silent But Deadly with William Sadler and Jason Mewes. He's a handful. Yeah, I know um, Jason actually. <laughs> woo! <laughs> and then, you know ex- what I mean. I do. Uh, I do a, a horror <laughs> film convention. I, ha- I had to stop when COVID hit, and I haven't restarted it. But I did for twelve years called Scaricon, and it was a po- it was like a oh, Comic Con. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I did that movie with them, and that was great fun. We filmed in Canada, uh, Mineville, which was my first one. That was. A labor of love. That's it's got an all star cast, but it was the hardest thing I've ever done because it was the first thing. And uh, uh, Gerald, which has been great. Uh, what else? I got another one in there somewhere. I have to be honest. I don't know the Gerald <gasps> story, but now that you've brought it up, I'm going to have oh. to watch your film and and learn about this because that sounds interesting. Yeah, too. that one's hard. That one's hardcore. Wow. So in that one, we, we rape and kill my daughter. And in this one, we run over and kill my son. Jeez, oh, your kids must not be. <laughs> they must be like, Mom, what are you getting me into here? <laughs> Something. Who else can you do it to? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, anyway, uh, Laura, um, thanks. You can get Garrow online. Yeah, thanks so much for agreeing to uh, chat Thank with you. us today. Chat room's loving the, the discussion. They know where to see the film, and uh, I'm sure many of them will, will do that. So thank you. Uh, thank you for bringing this story to us. And thank you for joining us today to chat about it. Thank you. And I'm so happy about the lodge. Yeah, that's going to be, I'll, I'll give you more details on that. So, you know, yeah. so you can, you can see what we do. Absolutely. All right. Uh, thank again, you. Yeah. Lori Kelly Bailey, and you can go to Vimeo and watch the film. Uh, again, it's Vimeo.com slash on demand slash a roadhouse coup. Thanks again, Lori, for being here. We appreciate, appreciate it. it. Have a great day. Okay, so folks, I, I, I'm going to just remind you one more time. You can go to our website, ParanormalRealityTV.com. We've got a merch tab there. But in addition to that, we've got a place where you can recommend locations. And I'm going to open that up to stories, too. Like the story we just told uh, with Lori Kelly's uh, Lori Kelly Belly's help uh, about Eva Koo. If you know a story like that, go to the website, hit the recommend location. You can put that same information about a story versus a location into that form and uh, let us know about it because these things are fascinating. In fact, I was talking to one of our investigators who's going to be joining us uh, for the investigation that I mentioned at the Masonic Lodge, the Fairchild Mansion in Oneonta. And um, she was saying, you know what? We got to do more true crime stuff. And I said, you know what? I agree, because I love the true crime stuff. It's just, I don't know if it's a macabre thing. I don't know what it is, but it's just fascinating. And you get into the minds of these people, whether it's victims or the criminals themselves, the people who commit these acts, and you just wonder what's going on, you know? Uh, It is fascinating, though. So go to ParanormalRealityTV.com, hit the recommend location. You can also recommend uh, stories that you want us to look into. I don't think I've got anything else to mention. I know uh, Rebecca... Rebecca Foster will be doing some readings tonight on our channels, all of the, uh, the the Twitch channel and I think the YouTube channel as well. If you want to join her, you might get uh, a reading from her, uh, which is always a lot of fun and kind of uh, can be spooky in itself because she does such a great job. She has such great insight into people. Um, and then we've got Britt Griffith, who's going to be doing some tech talk stuff about equipment that we use in our investigation. So there's a lot of stuff coming up. Be sure to follow, subscribe, like, and share our channels because there's so much happening on here uh, and we don't want you to miss any of it. But thanks for joining me today. I appreciate all of that. I appreciate you being patient with this temporary studio setup that I've got here. And again, thank you for all the kind words now that we've reintroduced these interviews and discussions. We will see you all next time. Have a great rest of your day. (laughs) 